Hey, good morning. Who's, whose idea was it to make me preach after that? Holy moly. Got some feedback up here, but I love hearing how friendly everyone is, and I think um, because of how emotional and do what I know how to do, and I'm going to read some scripture. Is that okay? All right, and so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of that chapter. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me, and I'm going to read out loud. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. And so if you are new today, we have been in a series called Luke Jesus for everyone, and we are working our way through the book of Luke, which I think we will finish when our child starts kindergarten, probably at this point. <laughs> but we, we finally made it out of Luke chapter 4 into Luke chapter 5, and last week we talked about how Jesus has power and authority over the spiritual realm, and we saw this in him being able to rebuke and drive out demons. And then we see that he has power and authority over the physical realm. And he was in Simon's house, who we see pop up again here in today's text. And he uh, is able to rebuke and drive out the fever, the high fever that his mother-in-law was experiencing. So we see Jesus has power and authority to heal both in the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Today's text, I believe, shows us two things. It shows us the third way that Jesus also has power and authority, and that is over the natural realm. We see that he has power and authority over the sea and over the fish. And then the second thing I think this text shows us today is it shows us the beginning of Jesus recruiting his team. We see Jesus's first call to his 
disciples. And in this account in Luke, it's specifically focused on Simon, who is Simon Peter, and then later known as Peter, that maybe most of us might know that name. And what I want to invite you guys into today is to get inside the text. Engage your senses a little bit. Sight, touch, sound. What's going on? Because as we watch Jesus inviting Peter to follow him, there might be a way that as we get inside the story, we see Jesus inviting us as his disciples as well. And so let me pray for us, and we're going to get going. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the way that you see us, where we're at. Thank you that you have power and authority to heal. And thank you, Jesus, that you also call us to come and team up with you. And so I pray today throughout this next 25 to 30 minutes, that there would be something in the text, Jesus, that you allow for us to be invited into um, with you. And it's your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so let's set the scene a little bit about what's happening. The first three verses show this, but Jesus is in northern Israel, okay? And he is walking around on the shore of the lake Genesaret, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a fresh body of water, and it stretches 13 miles north to south by 7 miles east to west. Is that me? It's my hair. <laughs> Women preachers. <laughs> there you go. Woo! If I need to go handheld, let me know. So he's walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, and there's this crowd of people that are gathering around him that want to hear his teaching. And so why is the crowd gathering? The crowd is gathering, right, because just like I said, they, they have seen this, that he has driven out demons, he's healed Simon's mother-in-law, and then after that happens, he goes out until sunset, it says, and he heals each person that is brought to him. Of course there's a crowd showing up. In other uh, versions of this text, it says that the crowd is pressing in on Jesus. And, and the, the Greek word here comes from claustrophobic. Okay, so that's, that's how much this crowd has been gathering. And he was walking outside of Capernaum, the town of Capernaum, which at that time would have had 15,000 people living in it. It was a high fisherman kind of village and town. So I can imagine that there's hundreds, maybe if not thousands, we see later on he feeds 5,000 people, right, that are gathering around him to hear his teaching. And Jesus is feeling a little claustrophobic by it. Maybe this is something we could see or hear the chaos of, the people trying to get close enough, right? Jesus didn't have a microphone. And so what does Jesus do? As he's walking alongside the beach, he spots two fishermen who were washing their nets, signifying that it was the end of their day. They were just coming in. And he sees two boats. And he climbs into Simon Peter's boat and turns it into a pulpit. 
And so he turned Simon Peter's boat into a pulpit. And I have to pause here to wonder, what is going through Simon's head? He was just finishing his day of work, either the day before or a couple days before. We don't know how long. Jesus was just in his house, miraculously healing his mother-in-law. And now there's thousands of people wanting to hear about it, but he's kind of disinterested. And he's standing there, and he's washing his nets out, and Jesus gets into his boat. And Peter just returned to his routine, to his life, after witnessing a miracle. I resonate so much with Peter at this moment, right? How many times in my own life have I maybe experienced the goodness of Jesus or a miracle or something, like I had an encounter with Jesus and then I just return to life? Anyone else with me? And so this is the scene. There's this crowd and Jesus climbs into Peter's boat and Peter's probably like, what are you doing? I'm washing my net. And then we pick up in the text. Jesus finishes teaching And he says this in verse 4 and 5. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. You see Simon's response here. He's like, I'm the fisherman. You're the carpenter. (laughs) I've been living my life on this lake, on this sea. I know that you go out at night, not the day. Right? This is like a lawyer telling a brain surgeon how to perform brain surgery, right? Like, or like a, a baseball pitcher telling an NFL tight end how to run his route, right? It just doesn't make sense. And there's something in Peter here that he's going, huh. And he says, Master, I guess because you say so. Now, the word master here is actually only used in the Gospel of Luke. It's not used in any other gospel. And it's used seven times. And it simply means just to obey, like a boss, like marching orders, we got it. Sure thing, master. There's nothing necessarily like holy or divine about Peter using this word for Jesus at this moment. So he says, Master, and then he says, because you say so. And I appreciate Peter in this moment. Peter didn't agree with Jesus, but he still obeyed. Peter didn't agree with Jesus, but he he still obeyed. And I have to even think about my own life and think about the times that Do I only hear God telling me things to do that I agree with? When's the last time I feel like I've I've heard Jesus say something to me, listen, tuned in to something that I might not agree with and then still obeyed anyway? Do I only listen when I agree? But Peter here is saying, because you say so, even though I don't agree I will obey, and all the parents said amen. (laughs) That wasn't in my notes at all. I'm so funny. Okay. So, 
Peter here is thinking, this is irrational, this is ridiculous. And if Peter wasn't willing to do the ridiculous, he would have missed out on the miraculous. If Peter wasn't willing to do the irrational, like that doesn't make sense at all, God, but okay, he would have missed out on the miraculous. And I wonder if that's the same for us. If we aren't willing to tune in and listen and maybe do what seems irrational. I already tried that, God. It didn't work. If we would miss out on the miraculous. So let me ask you, is there anything you've been resisting that you feel God might be asking you to do? There might be some things coming to mind or there might be some prayer time that needs to be carved out this week as you think through, God, have I heard you say anything that I disagreed with lately? Can you remind me again? Because I don't want to miss out on the miraculous. And then we continue in the text, verse 6 and 7. It says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. We see here, this is Jesus demonstrating his authority and his power over nature. His authority and his power over the sea. His authority and power over the fish. So much so that there were so many fish that he was driving into the nets that they began to break. So much fish, so much so that it was too much for one boat that they had to call another boat. So much so that they had so much fish filling two boats that the boats began to sink. Now, when I imagine these boats, sometimes I think about just like a little rowboat, right? Like one we would take out in northern uh, Arizona to go fishing. But I want to tell you guys, in 1986, there was a drought in Israel. And the drought in Israel dropped the water levels of the Sea of Galilee so much so that they were able to excavate a boat that they now call the Jesus Boat. They were able to date this boat back to the time that Jesus would have been doing ministry in northern Israel. And this boat was 27 and a half feet long. Yes, Ken and I measured this this week. 27 and a half feet long, where those cones are, to about seven and a half feet wide, to about where I'm standing on this stage, and four and a half feet deep. Can you picture how big these fishing boats were and how many fish it would have taken for them to sink? There's never been a catch like this. Yeah, we need an engineer in here to do the cubit unit. I don't know what it's called. I failed math. So, but there's never been a catch like this. And I'm imagining this moment. Two boats in the middle of the Sea of Galilee sinking, right? Get into the story. Sinking, broken nets, 
stinky, okay, maybe you don't want to get into this scene, stinky and slimy fish. (laughs) And we see Peter's response. In the midst of flopping fish and sinking boats, he kneels on top of all of it at Jesus' feet. And he says this in verse 8, and we'll read verse 10 too. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch people. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Something very interesting is happening in this verse. Let's unpack it a little bit. Before the miracle, Jesus, or Peter calls Jesus master. After the miracle, he calls Jesus Lord. He moves from just feeling obligated, you're the boss, to know like you are God. There is something about your power, your holiness. And in experiencing his power and holiness, his own brokenness is revealed. His own brokenness is revealed. And there's actually a theological term for this. If you guys want to learn a little bit this morning, it's called Mysterium Tremendum. Okay? Sounds like a Harry Potter, maybe. (laughs) Mysterium Tremendum, okay? And this is a pattern that would have been all throughout Scripture where God's people experience a divine revelation of who God is, and then they're moved from fear to love. And it's this idea of when we see our brokenness in the midst of seeing God's holiness. And Peter would have grown up in the synagogues. He would have known rabbis' teaching. He would have been familiar with what we call today the Old Testament, right? Hebrew text. And he would have known people like Isaiah who walk into the throne room when they see God and they say, holy, 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 woe is me. Or Moses with the burning bush, or Jeremiah, or Joshua. He would have known people from the Old Testament. He would have studied it, who have this divine revelation. And now here he is in the middle of a sinking boat with hundreds, if not thousands, of fish himself having the same revelation. Peter moves from master this obligation may be driven by fear, to calling Jesus Lord and wanting to obey powered by love. I wonder for us, do we tend to camp in one or the other? Do we tend to camp in just, all right, God, what are my marching orders? Obligation. Or do we we camp in... Oh, Jesus, you are Lord. I want to be powered by your love. And my favorite 
is Jesus responds to Peter with some serious affirmation. And he says, do not be afraid. Another familiar term that we see God speaks all throughout Scripture to his people. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And I can't imagine that right here in the middle of this boat, Peter is hearing Jesus say, do not be afraid, and he's connecting that this is the same God that I've learned about in the synagogues who's right in front of me right now. Jesus confirms to Peter. And then he says, from here on out, you'll catch people. Peter's saying, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus is saying, come with me. Peter is expecting this response of condemnation, and Jesus is saying, receive my grace. And I think this is natural, right? I feel this way too. When I, when I see my own sin, sometimes I feel like, ah, I just can't quite go to God with all that. Anyone else? And so Peter's having a very natural response here. And Jesus is saying, I'm calling you in all of your brokenness. And not only am I calling you in all of your brokenness, I'm now going to commission you in your brokenness to go and catch people. Mother Teresa coined this term. She calls it the call within the call. The call within the call. And Jesus is putting on display here that our brokenness is not a disqualifier for discipleship and to follow Jesus. But our brokenness is actually a prerequisite. Our brokenness is not a disqualifier for discipleship. It's actually a prerequisite. And I think even symbolically here, Jesus is displaying this. He's like, hey, Peter, these nets as we were pulling them in, they broke, and they still caught fish. You, you're broken. You're still going to catch people because I will drive them into your net. I will. And Jesus wasn't looking for perfect. We have heard this over and over again. Jesus wasn't looking for perfect and prestige and put together. He was looking for broken and ordinary people like Simon Peter and like you and me. So they start making their way in. And we read verse 11 together. Then, oh, so they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed him. Left everything. Do we, do we want to know what left everything means here? It means to leave everything. You guys are good. <laughs> they left everything. They left their nets. They left their boats. They left the fish. They left their means, they left their security, they left their provision. They left everything. 
And I would personally have a moment with Jesus on the beach here where I would be like, hey, can I at least like go sell some of this fish into town? You know, we'll make a bunch of bucks. It'll fund the rest of your ministry. Like, I'm coming. Or maybe, hey, you remember my uh, mother-in-law, the one that you just healed? Can I bring some fish home for her? She'll be really happy about this fish. And then I'll come. Well, they, they leave everything. Everything. And I have to imagine that there's perhaps still a crowd gathered on the beach watching this. Right? They're watching from afar and going, oh my gosh, that's so much fish. And then the boats pull up and they're like, yeah, that's really a lot of fish. And then I can imagine that maybe the crowd has a few reactions, but I'd like to present one or two uh, reactions that maybe people in the crowd are completely judging Peter at this moment. You're really going to leave all of that to go follow that guy? Well, thanks, we'll take some ourselves. <laughs> and maybe there's other people in the crowd who are seeing that and they're going, really? You're really going to leave all that? To follow that? I'm curious. I'm coming too. In our own lives, there's been moments that Jesus has invited us to come and to follow him, and maybe to the world it looks absolutely wild and ridiculous. You might have personally felt judgment from friends and family as you have declared, like, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. But also maybe in your following of Jesus and the way that you encountered Jesus has also caused other people to go, huh, I think I want to go check out Jesus too. And so this is all my imagination of this crowd that remains on the beach, but we don't get there unless we leave everything. And so my question is, what are you still carrying around with you? Is there anything you might need to leave behind? Is there any letting go For Peter, it was his means, it was his security, it was provision. That sounds a bit risky nowadays. But maybe for some of us here in this room, it's addictions or the things that we think like, oh, if people only knew, they might not like me so much anymore. Will God really accept this? This is too broken. So you begin to put up walls. But again, our brokenness is not a disqualifier. It's a prerequisite. In Jesus, he spots Peter where he's at on the shore of the beach. He climbs into his boat. He joins his world. He speaks his language. He meets him with grace. And he invites him to be on his team and go on a journey with him. This is the same invitation for you and I today. 
Jesus spots us and sees us exactly where we're at in all of our brokenness. He wants to climb into our world. He meets us with grace, with grace, and invites you to join and be on his team. So worship team, will you come? What I love about the rest of the story, when we, if you stick with us through the rest of the book of Luke, is you're going to see Peter was perfect from here on out. <laughs> yes, much sarcasm. He wasn't. He doubted. He denied. He had to go on his journey. And, and sometimes we feel like following Jesus, I have to be perfect, and then I have to keep it together forever. It's, it's, it's going to continue to be this journey of letting go, letting down our nets. And Jesus is going to continue to step into your boat and your world and invite you to continue to be with him on this journey. And there's a quote by N.T. Wright, and I'll end with this. He says, we are reading Luke's gospel today because Jesus kept his promise to Peter despite Peter's initial reluctance and subsequent failures. When Jesus calls, he certainly does demand everything, but only because he has already given everything himself and has plans in store for us and the world that we would have never have dreamed of. Only because he has already given everything himself and has plans in store for us and the world that we never would have dreamed of. So, as the worship team plays this last song, is there anything in your life that you've been resisting, that God has been already telling you, and maybe today is that, that nudge, that confirmation of, okay, I need to be obedient if, even if I don't agree, Jesus. Or, Maybe you feel like your brokenness is, disqualifies you for being a part of Jesus' family. And you need to sit with a Jesus that welcomes you as you are and says, no, this is actually exactly what I'm looking for when I recruit my team. Or maybe you need to reflect, what are you still carrying around with you? What are the nets that you're still bringing around with you that you might need to let go of to leave everything? Let me pray, and then we'll worship together. Lord, Jesus, I thank you that we get to join you, that you invite us to be on your team, and that we get to be powered and fueled by your love. And I pray, Jesus, right now that you would bring to mind or to our heart your compassionate and loving voice that is inviting us to go on a journey with you. Invite us in whatever way that you need this morning and, and thank you that you call us in the midst of our brokenness and then you commission us. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.